0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me in your Bible to the 10th chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 10, and I want us to look at a familiar scripture, but I think we might look at it in a little different light, maybe, than you have before. Glory to God. In, We'll start in verse number 8. This is Romans 10, verse number 8. It says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved. Why? For with the heart one believes under righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now we know this. You know, God has, has given our church a mandate, we know, uh, following the, the 26th chapter of Acts, that, that we are to uh, reach out to people and that we are to be ministers and witnesses of the things we've seen and of the things that he is yet speaking and revealing to us, all in the word, of course, Uh, that he is opening people's eyes, turning them from darkness to light, from the dominion of darkness, dominion of Satan unto unto himself, that they might receive remission of sins and their inheritance. That's our vision. And so uh, we know that we've understood from the word the importance of speaking and believing. But did you know? That most Christians today know nothing about the importance of speaking. I'm talking about when it comes to faith. Most Christians, I'm not talking about just churchgoers, but people who are genuinely saved in different denominations. We're not belittling anybody, but some of you came out of those and, and, and so we know this is true that the average christian they know about believing they know very little about the importance of speaking what they believe i would i would venture to say i haven't done a survey but i would be i think pretty confident that i could say that you could talk to most of your coworkers uh classmates neighbors or whoever you interact with and just present a question you know about somehow you know staging the situation about you know what what do they know about the importance of saying what they believe and and and, and how that impacts their faith and i, I would be willing to guess or i 'm pretty sure that most of the answers would would be just a blank face not really understanding anything about it because it 's not preached very much but notice this scripture go back to it if we, can, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, that means to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And notice there's two parts to this verse. Confessing, saying with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like I said, if you ask most Christians what is required of a person to be saved, almost everyone will say, believing in, in, some, in some word or another, maybe phrased a little differently, but they will say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that God raised him from the dead. If you believe that, you'll be saved. That's not what this says. Are you out there? He says, there's, the Bible says there's two parts. If you confess with your mouth and if you believe in your heart. Well, what if you just confess with your mouth and don't believe in your heart? Would you be saved? Well, what if you believed in your heart and didn't confess with your mouth? Would you be saved? Now, I know that's true. Go with me to uh, John. We We see this illustrated in John chapter 12. Go quickly over to John 12. And look at verse... Let's look in verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. This is talking about the Jewish people and particularly the the leaders, the Pharisees and and even the the, uh, 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 other leaders in Israel. So they did not believe in him. And it was that the word of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled and so forth. But notice verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers... Many believed in him. Now many didn't. But even among the rulers it says many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Well, now I know that believing on him here wasn't, isn't in the same capacity that we believe in him today because we believe he's been raised from the dead. He hadn't been raised from the dead, but they, nonetheless, there, there was a blessing associated even then of believing on him, even before he went to the cross. I mean, you, you couldn't be, you could not, you could, you couldn't be not blessed. You couldn't help but be blessed if you believed on him. But only if you confessed him. Notice, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. What does that mean? It means they didn't get anything. Now, it doesn't say they didn't get anything, but that's the obvious. It couldn't mean anything else. They believed in him, but they didn't get any blessing. It had no effect you couldn't say they didn't believe because the Word of God says they believed. But it had zero effect because they refused to confess with their mouth. Now, like I said, very few Christians understand the importance of it. But I don't know about you. I just know how I think of things. Go back to Romans chapter 10. I just This is the way my mind works. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you've had this thought. Maybe you haven't. Verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I've always, just my natural, my natural thinking. And I know it's true and I believe it. But my natural natural thinking has always thought, that's so weird. weird. What a weird thing for God to say if you confess with your mouth. I mean, actually spell it out. You've got to believe in your heart. I get that, but confess with your... It just seems to me, it just seems to me to be in the natural, just odd. I don't know if anybody thinks that or not. Why? Why would would God specify that we have to actually say something? Not not just, you know, a lot of people think believing is just thinking. (laughs) It's not he that thinks upon the name of the Lord. It's he who calls upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that right? But why does the Bible put so much importance? I'm telling you, salvation is dependent upon our speaking. That's, I mean, that's 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 pretty big. It's not a, That's not a side issue. It's a big issue. Why would God put such a premium on, I mean, equally, equal, of equal value, believing in your heart, and using your mouth. Well, there is an answer. Amen, and, and it'll help us to see the answer. Amen. Glory to God. Go with me to John chapter one. John chapter one. I read something this week that stirred me up along this line. Hadn't intended to minister on this, but what I read really blessed me, and so Lord dealt with me about it. And so that this is where. This is coming from, uh, in John one verse one. This is a very well known passage of scripture. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Because I mean, it's such a it's such a profound statement. That you, you, there's no, uh, there, it's not surprising that this would be kind of a premium verse. I mean, all of the, the word of God is inspired, but you know what I mean? This is, this is one that just gets your attention. In the beginning was the word. I mean, that, that takes you all the way back. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, but then it says, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So the word is a he. All things were made through him. And without him nothing was made. That was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now it goes on to say in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. Again these are very. Uh, uh well-celebrated passages and, and verses. We love to hear them. We love to speak. They're just, they're majestic. And I I believe every Christian who's been saved any length of time, if he's read the Bible, he's, he's read this. And it resonates. It's so powerful. Also, when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, now I, I, I really had never uh thought about this scripture when I was younger, when I, I was saved, when I was younger. But, you know, I was just a young kid and I didn't know much. And uh, so I don't remember anybody really preaching on this, but they probably did. But when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I was 20 years old. And, uh, you know, I just really began to consume everything I could. I read my Bible. I mean, just just... It was my constant companion. I took my Bible with me to work every chance I had. Fifteen minute break in the morning, lunch time, fifteen minute break in the afternoon. I'd get my my Bible out. I just I just was hungry, and I also started reading other people's material. Started reading reading the Sunday school literature. And started you know uh, buying uh, you know started uh, to to build a small library of you know things that would help me. And I noticed, or I learned early on, found out early on, that there's a lot of of, uh, writing about the word, word. In the Greek, when it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, it says, in the beginning was the logos. That's the Greek word for word. In the beginning was the logos, And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. Then we found out that he's talking that it calls this Logos a person. And in the 14th verse, the explanation is that the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Logos. So this word Logos was uh, a preeminent word. It was uh, an important theological word. The more that I read, the more that I began to. I had a a reference Bible that mom mom had given me a few years before. I got it out, dusted it off, and started reading it. and And so I I read about the logos, and I read other literature about that. And so it seemed that that commentators and and Bible teachers and scholars and of all stripe, you know, from all persuasions, talked a lot about the logos because it's a captivating idea. Come to find out that, that, the, that the Greek word Logos was, was, wasn't just uh, created for the Bible. It was already in use before the New Testament was written. The ancient Greeks, you know, they had a lot of gods. I mean, hundreds and probably thousands of gods. They had gods for the sun and the moon, you know, different things. But they had a sense that, that there had to be one chief god. There had to be a God all over these other gods. They just couldn't touch him. They couldn't find him. They didn't know who he was, where he was, what he was like. And so they just, they just had a concept of the super God. That's where the word logos, they created this word, or I don't know if they created it, but they coined it for that, that ultimate God, the true, real, overall God, the big God. And so this word logos, came to mean in in ancient Greek, it referred to the revealed truth of God and that is the God above all gods. Everything that could be known about him was was uh, vested in this name or in this word logos. Uh, When the writer of the New Testament came along, now this isn't, John's not the first place uh, it's mentioned, I don't think, but but it's here in the New Testament. And the word logos is, is, is prominent. It's all through the New Testament. And we, it, it has come to mean from the Bible, the revealed, the total revelation of God. The total revelation. And the, it came to mean the total written word of God. In other words, from Genesis to Revelation is the logos. The, the written form and then it's, it's, it's uh, impersonated. It's, uh, uh, what, what's my word I'm looking for? Embodied, thank you. It's embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment. Jesus is the embodiment of this written word. Now this written word is holy. It's important. And because it gives the full revelation of God to men. God's not giving further revelation. Now he speaks to our own hearts about things. That's true. But as far as revealing who he is and and that sort of thing, the Bible is complete. It is the total revelation of God. And in that sense, it is the Logos. Amen? But there's another important word that not a lot of people know about. And that's the word reina. There's another Greek word for word. One is logos; it's very prominent. But there's another word, and, it, gets, and it, it is used a lot in the New Testament too. Like I said, it's the word rhema. Now, not uh, I've read after a, a lot of theologians and, and so forth over over the years, and they they have a problem differentiating and distinguishing between the the logos and the rhema. But there was a there was a, a Methodist. Bishop, I guess I think back in the seventeen or eighteen hundreds by the name of Adam Clark, and I have a set of Adam Clark commentaries, three volume set, real big thick books, you know. And uh, he was he became a, a Hebrew scholar and a Greek scholar and a Latin scholar and an English scholar, and he was just a scholar. I guess I guess he was able to do that because he was unmarried. I, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway. (laughs) He became a scholar. And he mastered all of these languages. And in his commentary. I found the best description. Really just a very simple uh, explanation. Of the difference between the Logos and the Rhema. He said it. I shouldn't have to read this. Because it's right. He's so short. The Logos is all of the written word of God. But he said the rhema is a word from this that is spoken. The rhema is a spoken word of God or from God. It has to be spoken. It has to be spoken out loud. It has to actually be spoken to be a rhema. Well, why is that important? Uh now this word Rhema can be used of anyone's words. In the New Testament, there's a few examples of it just being the words of a common person. But primarily, it's used in the New Testament of a portion of God's logos. In other words, I don't quote the whole New Testament. <laughs> when I'm uh, talking to you or talking to the devil or talking to God, I I quote a part. When I take a portion of the word, of the Logos, and I speak it out, that word, that Logos, then becomes a rhema. Okay? Uh, This word, rhema, is used often in the Gospels of Jesus' spoken word. It's usually translated... Uh, words or sayings. Just to give an example, turn real quickly over to Luke chapter 5. We'll look at this real quick and you'll see what I'm saying. Luke chapter 5, verse 5. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all the night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down this net. That's the word, uh, rhema. Go to chapter 7. Luke 7. And look at verse one. Now, when he concluded, that is, when Jesus concluded all his sayings, he heard, in the hearing of the people he entered Capernaum. He reads this way: Now, when he concluded all his rhema. so again, it's, it's translated sayings. Then go over to the ninth chapter, but this will be the last example. Chapter nine, and let's look at verse forty-five. But they did not understand this saying. And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So twice in verse 45, the word rhema is used and it's translated say. You can see how it, was, it, it referred to Jesus' actual words. The actual words that, that fell from his lips. It, it was used of the things that he said and it called them his sayings. So I'm just illustrating Rama is speaking now. When Jesus said anything, even if it wasn't from the Old Testament, because that was the only logos they had, it, it, Jesus Jesus could have said "Twinkle, twinkle, little star," because Jesus was the logos. Then anything he said would have become the logos, because it would be the word of God, because he's God, right? So, uh. The, the rhema is speaking or saying the logos. Amen. Go with me to Matthew 4. Now we'll get into it. I had to say all that just to get us grounded to see how powerful it is. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. Glory to God. This is the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. I suppose next to the Garden of Gethsemane, which would be the number one example... But second to that, this was the greatest hour of temptation in the life of Jesus. Listen, the devil will challenge you the strongest when you first start out to obey him. He will see what you're made out of. If God can, if the devil can stop you when you first start out to obey him, if he can start, stop you there, uh, he's, he's, he's got you. He's ruined the harvest. And so as Jesus began his ministry, he faced a time of very serious, very powerful temptation. And and most of you know the story, I'm sure. Uh, But Jesus answered the devil this way. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice he did not say logos, He said, man shall live by every rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, when God speaks, it's rhema. When the the collection of it and the documentation of it is the logos and it's precious. Everything has to be checked by the logos. Because we know this this is the word of God. But... It's interesting that Jesus did not use the fact that he was the Logos. In other words, he did not rely on his divinity. He didn't rely on the fact that he was the Son of God. Jesus did not overcome the devil because he was God. In fact, he didn't even appeal to the fact that he was God. He could have said, how dare you speak to me, devil? Do you not know who I am? He did not rely, he did not look at, he did not bank on, he didn't put any weight on, he didn't uh, uh, emphasize or even take any action based on who he was. He used the rhema, not the logos, but the rhema. If you're going to defeat the devil, you're going to have to, and I'm going to have to be skillful in the rhema of God. Like I said, many people are are familiar with the Logos. Most Christians read the holy written Logos all their lives, yet they are very weak in faith. Not to point a finger at anybody, but you know that's true. They read it every morning, they read the Logos every morning, they carry it with them to church. Every Easter. <laughs> and more often. They keep it in a prominent place at home. They revere it. <laughs> when I first started, when I first got back into Fellowship Lord, I started bringing my Bible and it was almost this big, you know, because I didn't have a smaller one. And, and, uh, and I would bring it to work. And I, back then, because I worked where I worked, we often were not in places where you could go go out and get a lunch. And so I just took my lunch with me and I had this gray plastic, uh, you know, 1940s looking lunch pail, you know. And I would take that to work and, I'd, and my wife would make me a, a, a scrambled egg sandwich and put some potato chips or something in there. And she'd bring, make me this big thing of tea, sweet tea. And so that would be my lunch. And and I would oftentimes I was working in different locations and I, I one day I remember I put my Bible down on a on a shelf somewhere in an equipment room and I put my lunchbox on top of it. And a, and a man came in the room. Now before this, he had been using foul language and just, you know, just sounded like I don't know where he went to church, if he went to church, but but he was, you know, he didn't sound like he's interested in God at all. Just cussing all the time, every other breath. He came in and he looked over there and saw my lunchbox on top of my bible and he went ballistic he said what are you doing putting the putting putting a a lunchbox on top of the bible that's the word of god you reach over and he moved my lunchbox he said you don't put anything on top of the of, of the word of god the bible and and i thought okay you know chill out dude but i thought now isn't that interesting he had reverence for the logos, but it wasn't in him. He wasn't living it. A lot of Christians, you know, maybe they're not that extreme. They're better than that. But they speak of the logos. They talk about the Bible. They discuss the logo in Sunday school. In their study group. But they never speak The logo in faith to make it a Rhema. And because of that, because there's no saying, no Rhema, there's no faith. I can prove you that. Go to Romans chapter 10 again, where we were. Romans chapter 10. Are you out there? Praise the Lord. We were just reading. Let's read verse 8 again. But what does it say? The word. It's not the logos. It's the word Rama. What does it say? The Rama is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the Rama of faith. Which we preach. That's why he said. If you confess with your mouth. Because if it's not in your mouth. It's not a rhema. And why is that important? Verse number 17. So then faith. Comes by hearing. And hearing by the rhema. Of God. Some people. Have the idea. And I think we've maybe left this impression sometimes, unintentionally, that all you have to do to get faith is to read the Bible. Because they, they read this and say faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. They're thinking, just read the Bible. Just just read the paper. Read the, read the, the written Word. That's not what this is. It's not talking about the Logos. It could have said the Logos. But it said, faith comes by hearing the rhema of God. See, a person can believe and understand. They can have understanding of the precept. But until it becomes something that they speak, there's no power released. When Jesus faced the devil, he faced him with the rhema. He quoted a portion of the Logos. From the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was the, the, the Logos that he was quoting. But when he said it, he used the word Rhema. Right. Instead of Logos. What was Jesus doing? He was using the sword of the Spirit. Which Hebrews chapter, you know what the verse is, right? Verse 4, uh, chapter 4. The word, the rhema, look at it, look it up, Steve. Is it Hebrews 4, 11, 12? For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, the rhema, the Rama of God. That's what Jesus was doing. The rhema is not a sword that you take in your hand. The rhema is the sword that comes out of your mouth. Remember Jesus, when he comes back, he will, he will destroy this world. World. He'll have a sword coming out of his mouth. It's important that we understand the, this, this thing about speaking. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11 We're in 4. Go to Hebrews 11. Look at verse number 3. We understand by faith, or by faith we understand, that the worlds were framed. That word framed there means to bring back into order out of chaos. That's what, it, that's what the, word, the Greek word "frame" means. It means to restore something that's chaotic, restore it back to order. He says, By faith we understand that the worlds were brought back into order by the Rama of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Glory to God. We we know in Genesis chapter one that God said, facing facing the chaos, facing the, 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 the empty void, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, and it was a mess. And God spoke a rhema. He spoke his word. He said, let there be light. And light became. And then we were all down through the various degrees of creation there. He spoke it. And when he spoke it, it came into being. There is so much power in God's spoken word. And you and I have the privilege of speaking it. In fact, go over, notice it says the world, the things which are are, are seen were not made of things which are visible. You uh, uh, people that are knowledgeable in physical science, you know that's true. In uh, chapter 1, Hebrews 1, look at verse 3. Being the brightness of his glory, speaking of Jesus, the express image of his person, of God's person, and upholding all things by the rhema of his power. Did you know that our physical world is mostly nothing? (laughs) Now, I'm not real. I didn't really look into this, but from what I remember, just from what I remember, uh, you know, if you if you're if you're looking at this this metal pulpit, it's made up. Uh, you can't see it, but it's made up of of atoms, right? And it, if I remember right, atoms are, have a nucleus, and they have protons and huh neutrons and protons, and they spin around. Okay. Now I did I did. I didn't look up a lot, but I did. I did look this up. The size of these uh, protons that and neutrons that that are circulating around, the size, the space that's involved in one atom, the protons would be about the size of a bumblebee, flying around in uh, in uh, uh, like a big, huge, like. What's the big place in Rome? The Peter's Basilica. basilica, basilica. basilica. The size of a bumblebee flying around in, in St. Peter's Basilica. It's mostly air. That's what, that's what each atom is composed of. Now, because they're going so fast, everything's spinning around there. I mean, they're spinning around so fast, that they appear to be solid, you know if you turn uh, if, if you go to the airport amy 's not here you know she she her dad has this airplane, and i 've flown in it, and uh you know we stand out there, you can look at that propeller blade, you can grab hold of it, you know, but once she cranks it you don 't want to try to grab hold of it it 's spinning at like you know four thousand rpms, and if you just as much as try to touch it. It's like touching a wall, only it's spinning, it'll cut you. It seems to be a mass, but it isn't. It's just two blades. There's just two blades on this propeller. I mean, one on either side. But, but it's going so fast, it seems like it's solid. Our physical world is made up of this. And, and God, that's how he, when he spoke it, he called these atoms and these protons and neutrons together, and the Bible says that he's upholding everything by the rhema of his power. When he created birds, when he created livestock, when he created humans, when he created, you know, the, the, the ground, it's, it's all, all substance is made up of nothing. If God for one moment decided to withhold that order, We don't be sitting on the ground. Not with the we need meaning ground. You know we're all basically just a lot of hot air. I mean, there's really not anything in us. All of that is being is being held together. It was created and it's being held together held together by the Rama, the spoken word of God. We have the ability. To put that word in our mouth. That's what makes confessing the Lord Jesus Christ so powerful. Is because we get, God requires us to put it in our mouth. To actually say it like he does. And it's true about anything that you're believing God for. For with the mouth we believe unto prosperity. With the mouth, we we speak we we speak unto unto healing, unto whatever it is that we're believing God, whatever God's promises. We use our mouth because that's what God uses. Glory to God! It's the rhema of God. Oh, hallelujah! In I tell you what, it's creative power. It's creative power because it's God's logos. And it becomes creative when we speak it. Until we speak it, it doesn't do anything. It's the logos and we should value it. Don't misunderstand me. It's okay if you put your lunchbox on it. but we, We should value it. We should honor it. We should read it. But it becomes powerful when we speak it, when we make it a rhema. That's when God upholds everything we say. By the word of his power. He upholds it when we say it. Oh glory to God. Hallelujah. Uh, I got another minute or two. Go to to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This is so wonderful. Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 you remember this you remember the the account of Mary when um, when, the, when the angel appeared to her and uh, said so the Holy Spirit this is one Luke 135 the Holy Spirit will come upon you and so forth verse 37 the angel said this for with now this is probably this is this probably ranks up there among some of the, the uh, an instance of the worst translation in the King James Bible. It's just a terrible translation of what was actually said. Verse 37 says that the angel said, for with God, nothing will be impossible. That, that, that is, a, is a terrible translation. The ASV says it this way. No Rama from God shall be void of power. That's what it actually says. No Rama from God shall be void of power. When that angel said that, Mary immediately responded and said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your Rama. Glory to God. And with that, the angel had done his job and he departed from her. Let it be unto me according to your rhema. What was she doing? She was speaking what he said. She got an agreement with what the angel said. And when she, when she said, let it be unto me according to your word, that divine seed was dropped down in her right then. That's when the Lord Jesus Christ... That's when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And that seed was deposited by speaking that rhema. That's what happens when we speak the Word of God. I'll close with this scripture. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, not from my pen, from my mouth it shall not return to me void. That is empty or without fruit. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Glory to God. So shall my word be. That goes forth from my mouth. Now the Old Testament wasn't written in Hebrew, in Greek. So the word rhema is not there. But it's, it's describing a rhema event. So shall, be, so shall my word be that not just his logo, but goes out of my mouth. We get to use our mouth to speak God's logo and make it a rhema every single time. Faith doesn't come just by reading the Bible. Faith comes by taking what you read when you read something that belongs to you and then saying it. Saying it. When you say you can read by his stripes you I would by his stripes ye were healed. You can read that in 1 Peter 2.24 when you're sick. And you can get encouragement from that, and it produces a potential for faith. But faith doesn't come until you take that scripture and make it personal and you say by his stripes I was healed. And if I was healed, I am healed. What are you doing? You're speaking the Rhema of God. That's when God works. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. I was reading, I was listening to a, to a, uh, uh, a tape from 1973 yesterday, and, and the speaker was talking about this, and this is what stirred me up about it. And uh, he said, You know, I wonder if in our church services, if we could just have everybody one service, don't announce it, don't get anybody prepared, but just any given service, just ask people to stand up and, and, and quote scripture. He said, most people to go, couldn't think of one. He said that, that, I think he said he did that one time. And, and everybody just kind of sat there and shell-shocked. And finally, one little lady, she raised her hand. She said, I have one. So she quoted the 23rd Psalm. And half the church said, oh, she got my scripture He said in a few minutes, you know, after another long wait of silence, finally this boy stood up and he said, I have one. He quoted, Jesus wept. And other half of the church said, oh, he got my other scripture. We ought to, the word of God should be so alive in us that we're speaking it often enough that in any given situation in life, it's not just what you believe, it's saying what God said. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. In every situation in life, quote God's word. But not just not just mentally quoting it. I don't even like to use the word quote. Speak. Speak it. Believe what you're saying. Put it on your lips. Let it come out of your mouth. For with the heart man believes and with the mouth speaking the word of faith, the rhema of faith. Glory to God brings it to pass. Amen. Well, glory to God. God is so good, isn't he? Amen. Isn't the Lord wonderful? Isn't he simple? He puts his, his ways and his things right down here where we could get a hold of it. And gives us the, the, gives us the book. And just, you know, you don't have to make anything up. Just put this in your mouth. Just put what I said in your mouth. I've already said it. I know what it'll do. I know what I, it applies to all the different things you need. There's a word for me for everything. Put it in your mouth. Glory to God. You don't have to come up with your own sayings. God's already given us His sayings. Amen. Praise the Lord. Will us stand. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you sent your word. You've given us your logo. Your logos. You, we have it, Father, to hold and to feed on, to renew our minds so that we know what is right, what your plan, what your will is. But you've invited us to make it Rama. You've invited us to put it on our lips where it produces faith, where it produces power, where it becomes the sword of the Spirit. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, we we stand in awe of the simplicity of your divine will and plan. Stand in awe. Surely if man had tried to formulate this, it would have been way more complicated. But you've said it, you've put it within the grasp of every person, the simplest person, can lay hold of this and have miracle creative power flowing out of his mouth. Glory to God. So we make a commitment to you today to start speaking your word over situations that confront us. Saying what you've said because no rhema from God is void of power. There's creative power Just waiting to be released into our situation. Waiting to be released into our families, into our home life. Waiting to be released in the environment, at the job. Waiting to be released among our family members, far and wide. There's creative power. Just waiting to be released where our financial condition is. Where our healing, the body, this, this, the, the condition of our, our physical bodies, there's creative power just waiting to be released. When we take the sword of the Spirit, when we speak the living rhema of God, oh, glory to God. You'll uphold all that we say. You'll uphold all that we say because you uphold all things by the rhema of God. Glory to God. We thank you for it, Father. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.